Well, it was Wednesday, April 13th, 2011, about 10 in the morning. I was in a staff meeting when the church receptionist interrupted to tell me that my mother was on the phone. As soon as I took the call, I knew something was terribly wrong. My mom, uh, who was calling from Nebraska, where she and my father live, was in the car, and in a panicked voice, she told me that my father had had a heart attack. They had paddled him back to consciousness, and they were rushing him in for emergency surgery as we spoke. I asked a few questions. My mom was, was frantic. She had no answers. She told me she would call me back with more information as soon as she could. After we got off the phone, all I could do was, was wait. I asked my friends on staff to pray, and I remember thinking to myself, is this the day I'm going to lose my dad? And then, right after that thought, came to mind my youngest daughter. She was two and a half at the time, and all I could think was, she will never know him. She won't remember him. She'll see his face in pictures, she'll hear stories about him, but she will not know him for herself. For some reason, that was heavy on my heart in, in those minutes. Then about 30 minutes later, my mom called back. It turned out my dad, who had been having chest pains for several weeks without telling anyone, had gone to the hospital that morning for a stress test. So they hooked him up to some monitors, they put him on a treadmill, they evaluated his heart, and then afterwards, they had him in recovery. He was still hooked up to, to monitoring machines in the cardiac unit of a hospital when he went code blue. That means no heartbeat at all. A nurse jumped on his chest, tried to resuscitate him. When that didn't work, they paddled his heart back to beating, called my mother, rushed him into surgery, put stints in his arteries, and my dad is still alive today with no side effects from this incident. You probably guessed, but that's him right there. Text to Shara, still alive and kicking at 75. Shout out to my dad. Uh, the doctor said this after the whole thing was over. If you had had that heart attack anywhere except in the cardiac unit of a hospital, you would be dead. That is what you call good news. When I think about good news, I often think about that second phone call from my mother. And I bring this up because, friends, this morning I want to talk with you about good news. And not just any good news, not even really good news, but the good news. Today, I want to remind you of, share with you, compel you with the good news of Jesus Christ, his teaching about the kingdom of God, his death, and most significantly, according to the New Testament, his resurrection from the grave. But there are some challenges for us today. First of all, the good news of Jesus comes to us at a time when we aren't even sure if we can trust news. We live in an era of, of fake news, clickbait news, biased news, news that's been exaggerated, twisted, or sometimes even written with the intent to deceive. And so when I tell you that I have good news, maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you're already in your mind asking questions like, what's your angle? What's in this for you? What's the catch? You see, one of the reasons why we are cynical in this world is because we have been taught to protect ourselves from disappointment, 
Too many times we've been told things or promised things only to have the other shoe drop, only to discover that it wasn't as good as advertised. Whale watching comes to mind for me. (laughs) On the brochure, there were giant, beautiful whales leaping out of the water 10, 15 feet from the boat. We were out there for hours. I was sick from the waves and the exhaust of the engine. I didn't see a single whale, friends. Some people on the boat claimed to see a couple black humps off in the distance. I didn't see them. When I was a kid, my parents used to say, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Another challenge we face today is that never before in the history of the world have we been bombarded with so much news. When I grew up, there was the newspaper and the nightly news on three available channels. Today, we have the internet and social media, endless news cycles, news apps, news stories, news updates, news websites. We face news addiction and saturation like we never have before. And so, so how can anything truly good and really significant even stand out in our world? Furthermore, the news that does stand out is often not good news, but bad news. Bad news is what we are drawn to. Research supports this. Research tells us that bad news gets more clicks, more shares, more viewership, and more profits than any other kind of news. Stop blaming the media. They're just giving us what we want. And yet, in the midst of all that, I am here to share with you today the good news of Easter, good news that can change your life forever. Now, one thing about good news is that it's almost always set in the context of bad news, in the context of difficulty, tragedy, struggle, or uncertainty. The news that you found your wallet is good because of the previous bad news that you lost it. The other day, I searched high and low for my wallet for hours only to find it in the pocket of the pants I was wearing (laughs) the entire time. It was good news, but also humiliating news. You see, you're concerned about the test, the tryout, the interview, the project, the presentation, but then word comes back, it went well, good news, after concern. There was an incident on the way to school, but everyone's okay. Good news after worry or fear. You have cancer, but the surgeon seems to have gotten it all. You see, good news often follows bad news. News, to truly be good, solves a problem in our lives. And the bigger the problem, the better the news. This is true for the good news as well. Here's the bad news. Most of you know this. There is hurt and pain, and war, and loss, and tragedy, and evil all over this world. And every one of us in this room will do our very best to keep all of that stuff out of our lives, to push it away and minimize it, and minimize its impact on our existence for as long as we possibly can. But at some point, friends, at some point, you will not be able to hold it back. And it will catch up with you. And then to top it all off, at the end of the story, you will die. I told you, there was bad news first. This is the harsh reality of our world. But then, in the midst of that 
tragedy and evil and suffering, Jesus came. And he taught like no one had ever taught. He taught about God's love and kindness and mercy and holiness and justice. And people were drawn to him. What he said resonated with something deep inside of their hearts and souls that they knew that they needed. And not only that, Jesus healed. He healed people of the physical ailments that plagued them. Lepers were made clean. Blind people could see. The lame could walk. He healed people of emotional hurts and pains, of spiritual torments and oppressions. And he demonstrated power. Power over time and space and storms and seas. And he did all of this to support his message that he was the Messiah God in the flesh who had come to save the world and make things right again. And people put their hope in him because they saw this to be true. They believed it. But then on that Friday, they beat him and mocked him, tortured and tormented him. They hung him on a cross and crucified him. And when he died, it wasn't just his life that his followers lost. It was hope. They lost hope that he was who he said he was. They lost hope that things would get better and life could have meaning and that the world would ever be made right again. Have you ever lost hope? Have you ever lost the sense that things will work out? Have you ever lost the sense that you could have peace? Or that life could be filled with joy? Have you ever lost hope? Have you ever lost those feelings only to wonder, will they ever return? If you've ever felt that way, friends, even for just a minute, then you understand the feelings of Jesus' followers that Friday night when they laid him in the tomb and sealed it up with a giant stone. Hope gone. Evil wins again. But then came Sunday, the third day, resurrection day, the good news day. The women get up and go to the tomb to anoint his body. They find the stone has been rolled away and that his body is not there. But two men dressed in white tell them, he is not here. He has risen. It was beyond anything they could have hoped for or dreamed of or even ever imagined. And this leads to the second thing you need to know about good news, and that's this. If it ain't true, it ain't good. I've been always wanting to use the word ain't in an Easter sermon. This year's the year. Some of you are like, I don't like that at all. You'll get over it. Here we go. If, if it ain't true, it ain't good. Friends, hear this. If it's, if it's all just a hoax or a sham, or if it's simply just a nice little story we tell ourselves to feel better, then this good news is not good news at all. Friends, what I love about the Bible is how honest it is. The Bible is ruthlessly honest. Some people struggle with how honest the Bible is. I love this about the Bible. If you read the Bible, you'll find it to be so transparent about so many things. The failures of people, important spiritual people fail all throughout the scriptures. The hurt and pain of this world, honest all throughout the scriptures. The hard questions of life, the Bible doesn't skim over them or gloss over them or give pat answers. They're in there. It's honest about the messiness of the church. 
If you're here and you're new to the church, you're new to faith, the church is messy. It's been messy from the beginning. Read the New Testament. Jesus' followers blow it all the time. Don't be surprised. The, the Bible is honest about this. And one of the most honest parts of the story of Jesus is how his followers respond to the resurrection. The women run back and say, we went, we met some guys, we think they were angels, and they said, Jesus is alive. And his followers aren't like, we knew it. Of course he is. In fact, we've been in a prayer meeting all night asking God to do just this very thing. No, no, that's not how they respond. They're like, are you kidding me? Have you lost your minds? They run to the tomb to see for themselves because they're pretty sure these women are crazy. One of Jesus' followers says, I can't believe it. In fact, I won't believe it unless I can put my fingers into the holes in his hands where they drove the spikes into the cross. And I bring this up because the Bible is very honest about how unbelievable the resurrection is. The Bible doesn't say like, of course he rose, believe this easily. The Bible says, we know this is really hard to believe. And yet, and yet the scriptures are adamant that it is 100% true. In fact, the very people who claimed to see Jesus for themselves, they were the eyewitnesses. They were the ones who saw him. They gave their lives saying, it's true. I saw him alive. I touched him, sat with him, ate with him, talked with him. The scriptures say that over 500 people physically saw Jesus raised from the dead. I bring this up again because if the news ain't true, the news ain't good. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead physically, if the resurrection is not a fact historically, then the whole of Christianity is a fallacy. Even the Bible is honest enough to say this plainly. This is 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people in the entire world most to be pitied. In other words... If you come to Jesus for some teaching about how to live this life on earth and that's it, you're a fool. If Jesus is just some, some great teacher with some good thoughts and some crafty ideas and some, some ways to help you live a better life, but he didn't really defeat death and rise from the grave, if that's what you think, then the Bible says you're a fool. Why? Because the gospel is good news, not just good advice. Friends, some of you think the main message of Jesus is that he came in order to tell us, now go and be good. Be holy. Make sure you follow the rules, or, or even negatively, make sure you don't sin or don't be immoral. Friends, that is not Jesus' message, and it's not good news. So let me, let me share with you news, not advice, good news, not bad news, the gospel, and not just a religious system. Because good news changes everything. Good news changes reality, and this good news changes eternity. You see, for many of you, Easter is just another day. 
it, it's special, I guess, in some ways. You came to church. Um, some of you, that's really special. Some just kind of special. Uh, you'll maybe have a nice meal this afternoon. Anyone else having a nice meal? Probably you are. Uh, maybe friends and family will gather that you don't always see. I wore a sport coat today. The first service clapped, which kind of hurt my feelings. I mean, it's a holiday. No, don't do that. I told them it was kind of a backhanded compliment. Like, are you clapping because you like it or because you don't like what I... No, that's right. Okay. So, yes, that's right. I knew it. I knew it. I sensed it. But for many of us, it's just another day, right? It's just a religious day. That is not good news, An obligation to come to church is not good news. You see, Jesus, he didn't just cheat death or dodge death or avoid death or come back to life so that one day he could die again. No, the good news is that Jesus defeated sin and death. He conquered them. Friends, the news is so, so, so good because it means this, all the brokenness and sinfulness and oppression and injustice and evil in this world and in you and me has been nullified, neutralized, and flat out pulverized by the power of God over the grave. The greatest enemies of this world have been defeated. Our God is bigger and stronger and better and badder than all of them. Colossians 2.15 says it this way. I love this verse. Listen, listen. He, that's Jesus. He's talking about what he did when he died and rose. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. That's pretty intense, isn't it? It's because in the Roman Empire, when an enemy was conquered, they would lead them bound and shackled naked through the streets in order to demonstrate without a doubt that they had been crushed. That's what we're being told here. That's the good news. The sin you've suffered with and under. The death that has plagued your loved ones. Anyone here lost a loved one to death? Do you understand the hurt and pain of that? It's also in your future. God has not just barely beaten it. He has decisively destroyed it. Friends, this is why Jesus followers throughout the centuries have faced struggles and persecution and difficulty and tragedy and even death with words like, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? If God is for us, who can be against us? Can anything ever separate us from God's love? No. Not death or life, angels or demons, nothing in the present, nothing in the future, nothing from high above or down below. In fact, there is not a power in all of creation able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how strong he is. That's how powerful he is. That's why he could look death in the face and walk out of that tomb. That, friends, is the good news of Easter Sunday. So how do we respond I mean, it's nice to wear pastel colors and come to church, but I don't think it's enough. Maybe you're listening to the Easter message this morning and you're curious, but you're not convinced. You're intrigued, but you still have questions. That's okay. I remember feeling that exact same way in my life. Don't let the journey end there. 
Don't stop with just curiosity or questions. Maybe, maybe you need to hear more about Jesus. If you do, I just, let me tell you, next week we're, we're starting a, a new series here, a 10-week series called Jesus Cares. We're talking about what does Jesus really care about? We live in, in a world where people throw it around, like Jesus cares about this and he cares about that. And if you're a Christian, you should care about this and this and not this, friends. But we're going to stop and we're going to step back from all the commentary of the world. And we're going to look at the scriptures and we're going to say, what does Jesus really care about? And what does he want us as his followers to care about? In this series, you'll learn about him. You'll learn about who he was and what he taught and how he calls his followers to live their lives. So join us and follow that curiosity and dig into those questions. Maybe, maybe here this morning, you just have some like questions about faith in general, about like the Bible and what is it and where do we get it and what do we believe about God and Jesus and what's this whole thing, the church, and why should I come? Maybe you just have basic questions. We have a ministry here called Alpha, and it dives into those questions and provides a safe place to ask your questions and to express doubt and fear and concern and to process that stuff and to learn about the basics of the faith. Sign up for Alpha if that's you. Don't just stop with questions. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've been Resisting trusting Jesus. It's not so much the questions. They'll always have que- there'll always be some questions. I still have questions. I'm a pastor. But but you've been dabbling in church and you've been kind of toying with faith for a while, but you've never crossed that line of faith. You've never made the declaration that Jesus is Lord. You know the the claim of Christians, the, the very most basic declaration of faith from the beginning of following Jesus is, are, is these three words: Jesus is Lord, that he, he is God, that he rules, that he reigns, that he has control, that he calls the shots in my life, that Jesus is Lord. Maybe you've never made that declaration. The Bible, the Bible says this, if you sincerely believe that Jesus defeated death and you trust that in your heart, like you really sincerely believe that, and if you declare him as Lord of your life, you will be saved. That means that you will be adopted by God as his, as his son, his, his beloved daughter, and that you will have life in him and that he will be with you and that he will empower you and that he will help you live this life and that he will bring you into his presence for all eternity to be the person that he created you to be. And we can only imagine how great that is, friends. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. And for some of you, today is the day to cross the line of faith and make the declaration, Jesus is the Lord. He's my Lord. I believe it. I declare it in my heart. Maybe today's the day you need to say that to God. Finally, if you have made that decision, or, or if you're making that decision today that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that if you are a follower of Jesus for 30 seconds or 30 years, the thing to do, the way to respond is by declaring your faith through baptism. To just make this public proclamation, I believe in Jesus. He is Lord of my life. It's a very physical picture baptism of going down into the water and back up to say, Jesus' death and resurrection is for me. I trust that he died for my sin and that he defeated my death and he is my Lord. 
And I will now live my life with his power and strength working in and through me to help me become the person I long to be and that God created me to be. Friends, this morning we have 33 people between our two services and a couple from our Spanish-speaking congregation that are going to be baptized this morning. 33 people who are making that declaration of faith that I am a follower of Jesus and that he is the Lord. Maybe you. Yeah, you clap for those people. It's, it's huge. Are you tired of being your own God and your own king and running your own life or looking to the empty, endless things of this world for hope and peace and life and love? Jesus offers something that's, that's real and eternal. Maybe you're thinking, I, that sounds great for those people who planned it. They got their swimsuits on already underneath their nice clothes, but like... I couldn't do that. Friends, if Jesus is Lord of your life today, do it. We got shorts, t-shirts, towels in the back. I'm trying to take away all your excuses because I know how it works, right? Sometimes we let doubt and fear and insecurity win and yet faith says God is stronger than those things. If Jesus is Lord of your life, then come back and be baptized today. We'll work out the details. I said two weeks ago in a message, there is nothing there's nothing greater than declaring Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. And so, if you're ready to take that step, let today be the day, Easter 2023. Listen, listen to these words from, from Jesus himself. He said, everyone who acknowledges me publicly on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Imagine that, that moment on the other side of this world, standing before God and having Jesus say, that's my son, that's my daughter. I want that for me, I want that for you. In a minute, I'm gonna pray. And if you need to pray to receive Jesus as Lord today, just let my words help your words. You just talk to God yourself. Just pray with me. If, if you're here this morning to be baptized, like you're planning to do it. As I'm praying, you can just get up from your seat and you can walk back. Julie's right here, she'll lead you back. If you're here this morning and you weren't planning to be baptized, but you think you might wanna do it, or you know that you wanna do it, or you even just have questions about it, you can just come up during the prayer and you can, Pastor Katie's right here. She can walk back, she can answer your questions, we can talk about it. It's available to you today to make Jesus Lord of your life. The resurrection of the dead is not just a general thing. You can be free of sin and death in Jesus Christ. So I'm gonna pray, and if you're being led to be baptized, come forward during the prayer. Let's all bow our heads and pray together. Father, this morning, we remember your greatness, your power, your majesty. We remember that you loved us so much that you came to this earth, that you walked, that you gave your life for our sin, for our brokenness, to redeem us, to pay the penalty. But then you showed how powerful you are and how mighty you are and how majestic you are when you defeated death and you walked out of that grave. And the message of your followers for generations has been death no longer has a hold on us. Um, God, some in this room need to receive that free gift of salvation from you and make you Lord today. And so if that's you, just pray. Father, thank you for forgiving my sin. Thank you for loving me unconditionally. Thank you for coming 
and setting me free. Thank you for defeating sin and death on my behalf. I receive your death and resurrection for me and I declare you as Lord of my life. And then Father, we pray for those who are going to be baptized today. We're going to make that public, public proclamation of your victory. Would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you just seal this moment? Would you just lift it up as something significant and special? And would you, Jesus, get all the praise and all the glory this morning? And God's people said, amen.